So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I'll read it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. One last time so you can have it memorized if you're precocious. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. Well, I I titled this sermon, Whom Do You Fear and What Do You Despise? Whom do you fear and what do you despise? And there are many takeaways, but if you remember just one thing, then know that if you don't fear the Lord, then you'll be the fool that despises wisdom and instruction. So whom do you fear? What do you despise? And the message is, Fear the Lord and don't despise wisdom and instruction. But first, a story. He had a horrible life by any measure of horribleness. He was born into slavery and his sister and his mother were taken in a night raid by kidnappers from Arkansas. He never saw them again, but he was rescued. And with his brother, he was raised after the Civil War by his former slave master and his master's wife. What an amazing story of survival. But that's not why we remember him. We remember him for his prodigious intellectual output and his worldwide recognition. He became a fellow of the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers, and Commerce, joining the likes of Benjamin Franklin, Adam Smith, and Marie Curie. The crown prince of Sweden studied with him for three weeks. This is a man who was born into slavery. He met three United States presidents, and he testified before Congress. Now listen to what a 60-something-year-old, a 60-something-year-old George Washington Carver said in a letter to Isabel Coleman on July 24th, 1931. And I say he was a 60-something because I didn't bother to calculate exactly how old he would be, but also because he was born in slavery. So we don't know how old he was, actually, right? Even his birth year is an estimate. But this is what he says. I was just a mere boy when converted, hardly 10 years old. There isn't much of a story to it. God just came into my heart one afternoon while I was alone in the loft of our big barn, while I was shelling corn to carry to the mill to be ground into meal. A dear little white boy, one of our neighbors, about my age, 
came by one Sunday morning, and in talking and playing, he told me he was going to Sunday school tomorrow morning. I was eager to know what Sunday school was. He said they sang hymns and prayed. I asked him what prayer was and what they said. I do not remember what he said, only remember that as soon as he, climbed, as he left, I climbed up into the loft, knelt down by the barrel of corn, and prayed as best I could. I do not remember what I said. I only recall that I felt so good that I prayed several times before I quit. My brother and myself were the only colored children in that neighborhood, and of course, we could not go to church or Sunday school or school of any kind. That was my simple conversion, and I've tried to keep the faith. And George Washington Carver did, in fact, keep the faith. And he demonstrates to us that in the face of extreme hardship, even terrible, unspeakable racism in a, in a, in a, a time, a tragic time in our country, he kept the faith. And guess what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He feared the Lord and he grew in understanding. And so the question is, what about you? Whom do you fear? What do you despise? We'll see that if you fear the Lord, then you are on the path to knowledge. But if you do not fear the Lord, then you will become the fool or you already are the fool that must despise wisdom and instruction. This morning... If you missed it or slept through the sermon or forgot it already, we were looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And I, I gave you even hand motions, right? I said, reject the lies, remember the victory, and receive the truth. And in our corresponding passage in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, we have a similar theme. We have first the definition of Fear, that's something we need to talk about. What does it mean to fear the Lord? So we're going to talk about the definition of fear. Then second, we're going to talk about the development of knowledge. Because notice it says the beginning of knowledge. Not knowledge, but the beginning of it. And then finally, I want us to consider a distinction between the wise and the foolish. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But that the second half of that couplet is a contrast with the fools who despise wisdom and instruction. So first, definition of fear. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, fear can mean many things. And this, I mean, I'm talking about in the Bible. This is thinking about scriptural passages. It's not like the uh, Oxford English Dictionary or Webster's Dictionary. Those are interesting things, but for our purposes, we have to think about when the Bible says fear of the Lord, what does the Bible mean? So fear can mean many things. It can mean dread. It can even mean sheer terror. 
Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25 uses the word fear in that way. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. There can be a fear, a biblical fear, that when it is referenced, it means that you are completely terrified and in total anguish. Is that what we have when we hear the fear of the Lord? Fear can also mean what's in someone's heart in order to make that person faithful. So Jeremiah 32, 40 to 41, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me, this is the Lord speaking, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land of in faithfulness with all my heart and my soul. So there the fear of the Lord, and these are not mutually exclusive, right? You can be terrified of something and eager to obey. But just notice that the fear of the Lord in Jeremiah 32, the focus here is on obedience. I'll put my fear in you and you will obey. Now, when Luke, it's a different language, but when Luke wants to record the faithfulness of the church in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, he actually appeals to this idea of fear. He says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So you see there is a sheer terror fear. And then there's also a fear which encourages me to obey. Now, one commentator looks at the different passages of the fear of the Lord and says, sees the fear of the Lord as a, quote, shrinking back in recognition of the, dif- di- of the difference or holiness of God and the drawing close in awe and worship, end of quote. And that quote results in a willingness to do what God says. So notice that here the commentator is kind of trying to make sense of these different meanings of fear. Now, I think that an English word that captures the fear of the Lord Maybe something like deference or heedfulness or solicitude. But of course, we don't ever use these words. Um, But the fear of the Lord means to stand in constant readiness to give pleasure to the Lord by what we do with a solemn respect for his awesome power. I'll give two lion examples. I'm reading through Chronicles for my devotions, and you may remember that David, my, David's mighty men, there's one of them that his a great feat that he does is that he is stuck in this pit on a snowy day. Presumably snowy is bad because, you know, it's sloshy and it's, you don't have good grounding, but he's stuck in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. And he slays the lion. Well, I don't know about you, 
But it may be that if I was in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, I'd go, here, kitty, 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 nothing bad here, right? What do you, you would show this kind of um, solicitude to the lion. You would show a diffidence, uh, uh, a uh, glad to be of use to the lion. Oh, you want to move over there? That's fine. And we see this, don't we, in um, the Chronicles of Narnia. And when uh, they, uh, the kids get into Narnia, if you remember, they come upon the beavers and they're, they don't know who Aslan is. And Mr. Beaver is just astonished that they have no idea who Aslan is. And at one point, they're trying to figure out who he is. They think maybe he's a man. No, he's not a man. He's a lion. And so Lucy says about Aslan, then he isn't safe. I mean, you could imagine kind of, well, why would I want to meet this lion if he isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver says, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. And so there is an appropriate fear of the Lord which recognizes that the God of the universe has asked me to do something and he not only could annihilate me just like that, he has promised one day to remake everything. And he is saying, you need to do that. There is a, a reverent respect. It's not a, it's not a terror. It's not a dread because I know that he loves me. I know that he loves me, but there is a respect for his power. It's interesting as I've been reflecting on the fear of the Lord in scripture that when, and I'm open for correction after the sermon, or you can write, you know, emails to the church, 4511 West Weddington Drive, Fayetteville, 7704. But I'm struck by how the Lord doesn't seem, um, I'll put it this way. He doesn't seem particularly talkative about the pagan people who don't fear him. Have you noticed that he, he doesn't, it's, I, I don't reflect in my Bible time on, he doesn't say like, why don't the Egyptians fear me? Why, do, why doesn't Nebuchadnezzar fear me? No, he has a sterner message to them, right? I'm going to annihilate you. You're not going to be a kingdom anymore. That's how he responds to pagan nations. But... They, when they don't fear the Lord, as uh, Psalm 55 makes clear, the Lord does, in fact, brush them aside. Right? So not fearing the Lord is a, uh, a swift path to destruction. But the complaint that we should feel is, do we fear the Lord the way that we should? Listen to Psalm 55, 18 and 19. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me, 
God will give ear and humble them. He was enthroned from of old because they do not change and do not fear God. They don't fear the Lord and they're just going to be swept off the earth. But I think the Lord is especially keen that we fear him, that we reverence him. Um, just a quick aside, I, um, some old colleagues of mine were teasing me about, I'm not a sports person and I don't, you know, I'm just not a sports person, sorry. But uh, so they were soccer players and they were teasing me about, they were making fun of me by playing off stereotypes of English Premier League soccer fans. So they were having a little joke between themselves, like, oh, Jay is a so-and-so fan, and they would have a chuckle because that, the stereotype of that fan is this, that, or the other thing. Well, they decided that I would be a London Arsenal fan because they declared that would be Switzerland. And so I watched this short YouTube clip on, um, on like the best goals of London Arsenal because I thought if they're making me be a fan of this English soccer club, I may as well look. Well, it was dubbed in Arabic. And I said to a colleague, Dave Vila, some of you know him, you know, it's really interesting. I don't know Arabic, but the word for, the word for um, goal sounds just to my ears like Allah. Because somebody scores a goal and the commentator goes, yeah, Allah! And so that's exact. I mean, that is like spot on exactly what they say. So, uh, and my colleague at JBU said, "No, that is Allah. They are they are taking Allah's name in vain, which I'm perfectly comfortable with. Right? Go ahead. But you stub your toe, and if you're a pious, very pious Muslim, Ya Allah. You you just whereas we." So revere the name of the Lord that we we hear someone say the name of Jesus as a curse word and it grieves our souls. Why? Because we fear the Lord, because that is precious. That is a precious name and um, uh, very uh, orthodox Jews um, don't even say the Lord. They say the name. That's all they say. Well, blessed be the name. And that's all they say out of reverence for the Lord. So the question before us is, number one, do you fear the Lord? Not are you constantly living in terror, but are you, am I, thinking about honoring and respecting and being, uh, doing everything I can to bring glory to my king. So that's the first is the definition of fear. Now, the second point here is the development of knowledge, the development of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Interestingly enough, the idea, the connection of the fear of the Lord and the beginning of knowledge is unique in Uh, Old Testament literature. You don't actually see the coordination of the fear of the Lord or or their little gods who are not gods with the acquisition of knowledge. 
So if you look at, this is Robert Alter has done, he makes this comment that if you look at Mesopotamia, if you look at Egypt, the wisdom literature is there, that, that actually, I don't know what they go after, but it's like, you fear this fake God, then he's going to give you power. You fear this fake God, he's going to give you good fortune. But notice Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And notice that the promise is not knowledge, but the beginning of knowledge. How can this be? Well, you'll forgive me for a little quick philosophy, but, um, or if not, I'll persevere in the face of your uh, distaste. But, but one of the things that it's helpful to think about is there are certain habits of mind, habits of mind that help us acquire knowledge, that help us attain to the truth. We call these, in philosophy speak, intellectual virtues. Intellectual virtues are those habits of mind that help us arrive at knowledge. So quickly, let's think about how fearing the Lord could help us begin the process of knowledge acquisition. Well, one, one intellectual virtue that we applaud is intellectual humility. And if you want to learn something, then it's good to know that you don't know everything and that you need to learn. Well, if you fear the Lord, if you fear the Lord, then you know that this great God whom you revere knows everything and you don't know everything. Intellectual honesty. That's also important. Humility, honesty is important. It's important for us to be able to candidly admit what we know and what we don't know. If you fear the Lord, then you know that he is listening to what you're saying, that God knows whether or not you know something. And actually being intellectually humble, realizing that you don't know or can't know all that there is to know, but God knows everything, and intellectually honest that you actually don't know everything in this particular instance is a way for you to grow in knowledge. Intellectual carefulness is also connected to the other intellectual virtues that we, you really need to be thoughtful and particular. Some of us can, uh, we have the vice of over carefulness, but you ought to be careful about what it is that you're trying to learn. Well, I want to honor the Lord whom I fear with my industry. What about intellectual courage? Sometimes in order to acquire knowledge, we have to reveal that we strongly disagree with something. What should we say in a moment where we strongly disagree? We should say, I fear God and not you. I fear God and not you. So we should be intellectually courageous. Sometimes it's difficult to get knowledge, right? I mean, oh, if only we could pick up an instrument. If only I could sit down at the organ, get a couple tips from Harrison, and then boom, I could play the organ. That'd be awesome, but it doesn't work that way. Well, guess what? We can be intellectually tenacious because we follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, We follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. Suffering now, glory later. And then the last two, so that'll be rounding out seven. 
curiosity and fair-mindedness, right? So we want to be, in order to acquire knowledge, we have to be curious about things. And uh, Thomas Hibbs has a nice point about how for Nietzsche, the 19th century German philosopher, everything was terrifying that you didn't know. Because of Nietzsche's worldview, probably everything was trying to kill you. Probably what's, what's out there, what you're ignorant of, is probably trying to get you. And he contrasts that with Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas, for whom because God exists and because God knows everything and because God is all powerful and takes care of his peoples, then what his people, then what I don't know is an object of interest. Why? Because I know that God knows it. I may not be able to fully comprehend it. I know I won't be able to fully comprehend it the way that God does, intellectual humility. But man, isn't it interesting? Because this is the world that God has made. And finally, fair-mindedness. Not open-mindedness. I need to be closed to some things. But fair-mindedness in the sense that I want to learn from everyone as best I can. Now, George Washington Carver had his own eight cardinal virtues. By the way, those seven virtues that I just mentioned, the center that I direct, we have an intellectual virtues program. And those are the seven that we try to teach our students. Those are the seven virtues. So um, I just mentioned that not to say like click the donate link down below in the description. I say that to, to these are virtues that I, I've really thought about. And the fear of the Lord really does help us acquire knowledge by building in us habits of character that are, or, are oriented towards believing what is true. George Washington Carver had eight cardinal virtues that he said to find a lady or gentleman. Be clean both inside and out, who neither looks up the rich nor down up to the rich nor down on the poor, who loses if need be without squealing, who wins without bragging, who's always considered of women, children, and old people, who is too brave to lie, who is too generous to cheat, who takes his share of the world and lets other people have theirs. So, Christian, are you concerned about your own intellectual development? Or to put the question more bluntly, do you see how the fear of the Lord can help you acquire the knowledge that you need? So the definition of fear, development of knowledge, and then here at the closing, we see how Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 advances the argument by giving us a foil, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But then there is, this is the third point, a distinction between the wise and the foolish. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is really interesting here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, because we do have the tagline, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But this is one of the unique instances, or maybe the only instance, when there is a twist from what you would expect. So compare these uh, two different verses. Proverbs with uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
So here in Proverbs 9.10, it's a, it's a repetition, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So again, the second half of the verse reinforces the first, namely, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But here we have a little twist at the end. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then what? Fools despise wisdom and instructions. If you don't fear the Lord, you will despise wisdom and instruction. If you don't fear the Lord, you will despise wisdom and instruction. Matthew Henry puts it this way. Those are fools who do not fear God and value the scriptures And though they may pretend to be admirers of wit, they are really strangers and enemies to wisdom. The uh, best example of how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge is uh, George Washington Carver. But a delicious example of fools despise wisdom and instruction is uh, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins uh, infamously... um, insist that there is no God and that religion is terrible. But then when pressed on this in an interview, he thought that possibly there could be uh, evidence that could be developed that would actually make us believe in some kind of intelligent design. Oh, you say, intelligent design? Yes, Perhaps there were extremely intelligent space aliens who seeded life on planet Earth. Now, it's ridiculous, of course. It's offered without evidence, but it is, strictly speaking, foolish. It's foolish because of deeply flawed reasoning. And I'll try to do this as easygoingly as possible. The claim is, where did life on earth come? If your answer is, it just happened, well, okay, maybe there were space aliens. The reason why it's strictly speaking foolish is that if I can ask why there's life on earth here, and the answer is space aliens there, then I can ask, well, why are there space aliens there? And if the only satisfying answer is, there's space aliens elsewhere, then I'm going to say, well, where are those space aliens? There is, I think it's an Indian uh, proverb or or joke that um, somebody said, um, well, how is the earth supported? And and, uh, someone said, well, the earth is resting on a turtle. But what is the turtle resting on? Well, the earth is resting on another turtle. Well, what are those two, two turtles in the earth resting on? It's, uh, it's resting on a third turtle. But what about the, and then the comment was, it's turtles all the way down. But of course, this is no explanation at all, right? It's strictly speaking foolish. If I can say that if you say, you should not say, but if you say alien seeded life here, then... What about those aliens, right? 
So we say that God made the world by the word of his power. We have clear testimonial evidence from scripture, and we are astonished at how everything comes together in the world to support life. And the more we explore the galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy, we do not find space aliens, but we see just how unique this planet is that God made. So we had a definition of fear, a holy reverence that longs to do what God commands, a development of knowledge. We can see how we develop habits of character in keeping with our fear of the Lord. And finally, we see that there really is two ways to live. We either fear the Lord or we will despise wisdom and instruction. So the question is, what about you? What about you? Not just for the whole of life, but of of course that's important. But where have you been foolishly turning to worldly wisdom instead of fearing the Lord? May God bring that to mind to the preacher too. And may we repent of trusting in worldly wisdom instead of the wisdom that comes from the Lord alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts that which is pleasing to you, that we may fear you, that you would work wisdom into our hearts, that we may not despise wisdom and instruction, but receive it, cling to it, that we would have knowledge from you, the Holy One, and that we would practice what we learn, that we would have good understanding. May your praise endure forever in our hearts and in our lives. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.